and welcome to The Pantry Party, a podcast celebrating innovation, food and life in the health and wellbeing industry. We're your hosts, Liza and Brett, and today on episode two, we have Roxette. Now, Rox is one of our friends from the university. I went through the Bachelor of Nutrition Science with her, um, and therefore you went through part of your degree with her as yeah, well, Yeah, we all Liza. started together. We were all um, in the same cohort, cohort for the first Two, two years, years, and then we split up and you guys were together for the last year of your degree. Yeah. Um, I actually recently listened back to this episode just to get a refresher because it's been a little while <laughs> since we recorded it. Um, and I was honestly so happy with what we talked about. I think it reflects rocks really well as a person and shows a really well-rounded snapshot of her attitude towards life and work um and also I think it really displays her drive and her passion want of a better word um about what she does and the fact that she wants to do everything to the best of her ability whilst mm. also acknowledging her boundaries and her yeah. mental health and yeah. things um yeah I love this episode it was yeah. so much fun to record and like I think in like comparing it to some of the other conversations we've had, Rox is a very dear friend to both of us. And she's always been, I think just because she's like a couple of years older than us, not, not saying that she's like old, but like, because she's a little (laughs) bit further ahead of us in life, but still at a similar period going through uni and everything, everything that she's always done. I've just felt like she was really put together and very well intentioned (laughs) with everything that she does. So I think this conversation was really nice because we kind of broke down a lot of that and like sort of worked through it together Mm. Um, my, the, like one thing that I always think about going back to this episode was how nice it was to think about food industry as a part of the bigger public health picture and a part of like our industry and how everything works together. And I think it's really nice that Rox has been able to kind of like grasp that and allow that to drive her. Cause I think a lot of people in dietetics are like, oh, food industry, like, well, you know. Yeah. Which is something that we actually do talk about is that kind of constant, (laughs) <laughs> berating that some food industry dietitians may receive um, yeah. and I think we touch on that a lot and have a really good discussion about it um, so yes I found it very interesting to listen to yeah just saying me too, me too. Um, I loved it yes uh, before we jump into the episode we just need to let you guys know that we made a little mistake in the first episode <laughs> <laughs> um but uh, did you want to explain that? Yeah, yeah. So I think in the first episode, basically we were at a point where we were sorting out our website and how everything was going to work. And we really value full transparency here at the Pantry Party because these are the conversations that we're having and we really want to be as real as possible with everyone. We don't want to make out like we're living this dream life where we get to do this podcast and it's great. Um, (laughs) But it is great that we get to do this podcast, but it is a lot of work on our end. So I think in the last episode, we said that we were going to be doing like a membership type system, um, which we did look into. uh, And because we're using it through Squarespace, it's going to be very expensive for us to fund just the version of the website that we need in order to make that viable and the cost just isn't going to add up. So we've decided instead to do um, through Patreon a couple of tiers. We actually don't know at this point recording this exactly what it is, but all the details will be on our website and on Patreon. So we'll put the link in the um, show notes and you can head over there if you would like to support us. We, any Anything would be muchly appreciated. Um, or you can message us directly and we can chat about yeah. other options if you do want to try and support us another way or sponsor an episode if you're a business or company. Yes, um, and all our contact details, both personal and through the Pantry Party website, Gmail, all of that, that's in the show notes as well. So um, even if you just want to chat, even if you want to yeah. just drop us a line, feel free to send us an email or message us on Instagram. We're, we're pretty active, I like to yeah, think. Yeah, we're always around. these days. Love a good uh, chat. <laughs> I mean, that's what we're here to do. Exactly. So, yeah, any feedback or comments are always very, very welcome. And we'd love to hear all of your thoughts as well as ours because we've done so much talking. Yeah, and we'd love to hear if you guys actually got anything out of our first Rambly episode. I think Roxanne's is a bit more defined and a bit more... Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, what's the word? Cohesive? Um, so, yes, I don't think... The first episode wasn't as telling of what the rest of the season is going to be. So, no. sorry if you enjoyed it. Also, gr- I'm glad that you enjoyed it. <laughs> um, but from here on out, the episodes are a bit more... Structured? Reined in. Structured, yeah. that's the word. I'm yeah. being very negative about it. Yes. So, without further ado, uh, this is our episode with... Roxanne Tan. So, to start off the party, um, we uh, have some quick-fire questions to ask you, soldier. Straight in. So, the first one is, what are your three pantry staples? It will have to be peanut butter, noodles, and bread flour. Ooh. Bread flour. Hmm. What kind of noodles? That. That's a broad... All sorts of noodles. <laughs> All sorts of noodles. Noodles lo- makes life so much better. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Very nice. I don't think we've had bread flour ever. No, that's a good one. Because you can still use it for other things. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, there's a certain kind of, you know, like, the good bread flour is good. Like, yeah. You can't have this cheap ass. No. <laughs> no. No. And the reason why is because, like, making bread is my sort of modern day yoga. It's sort of my meditation because you really get back to sort of hand making stuff. It's yeah. sort of my silent protest against... 21st century fast-paced life. I love it. Yeah, so to yeah. slow down, I make bread. Nice. Yeah. Well, I think that you've already answered question two, which is what's your go-to self-care strategy? <laughs> Making, Making bread. Making bread. Is Making there any bread. other things that stand out to you as, like, taking time out and looking up, looking after yourself, though? Yeah, so that would probably be um, that me time we were talking about, um, allowing time to enjoy yourself and to, to reflect by yourself. Um, and, yeah, just that that time that you spend de-stressing and taking care of you. Nice. Um, what is your favourite go-to party dish? Well, I had to think long and hard about this one. It's probably my most recent, given my poor memory. Um, so it's bao buns with sticky pork or beef ribs. Yum. <laughs> How do you make your ribs? Do you slow cook them? or do you Slow cook them. And um, the bao buns, I get my partner, Grey, to make them. So he was rolling out all these little bao buns and they're all a little bit distorted and misshapen. <laughs> but it adds to authenticity. Rustic. 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 Love it. Nice. Um, what's the most memorable party that you've thrown or attended? Best event? Probably any water balloon party that I threw as a kid. I would wake up really early, fill up a hundred of water balloons, and then we'd open up the house and have this full house water balloon party. Was that here? Like no. in the backyard? <laughs> <laughs> no, in Malaysia. So we had like a fully non-carpet, like everything was tiles, everything was non-water damageable yeah um and yeah, yeah. we just had those big <laughs> water balloon parties it's amazing yeah i wish i did that damn <laughs> um and what are you currently into podcasts tedx and probably have been for the last probably 24 months or so i probably listen to more than 300 or 400 podcasts or tedx talks because i'm that intense with what i do <laughs> at any one point of time so that would probably be my current thing have you got a favorite of uh, each mm, yes i do podcast is probably modern love or terrible things for asking so they generally go into the concepts of human psyche uh, why people behave the way they behave um or things like people's stories of resilience and experiences. So I really like to listen to them because I think they challenge you mm. as an individual to grow. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Alrighty. Well, I guess we should get into um, the bulk of the episode. But before we do, do you mind introducing yourself, telling us a little bit about what you do, where you like your journey to where you are now, basically? Yeah. So my name's Roxanne Tan. Um, I'm a food industry nutritionist at Simplot Australia. So um, Simplot Australia does brands like John West, Legos, Birdseye and Edgel. Um, and what do I do on a day-to-day basis? Was that the question? Yeah, or just like how you've sort of ended up in this role, how you got there. Yeah, so um, how I ended up there was a week before my final exam was when I got the role. So I was applying during my final exams. Um, and I always knew I wanted to work in food industry. But when this opportunity came up, I just thought, why not? Let's just go for it. And next thing you knew, I sort of landed up in Simplot. Yeah, so it was a lack of timing, I think, um, that led me to Simplot. Uh, but what I 
do on a day-to-day basis varies a lot. So um, in a food industry role, you probably think food regs and compliance and stuff like that. And yes, that's definitely part of the job, but um, a lot of it's also extraneous projects. So things like working on recipe books, nutrition insights from the leading papers that are coming up, um, from global nutrition research throughout the world or what's trending at the moment to things like nutrition through marketing, claims validation and even strategy development. Mm-hmm. That's nice and succinct. Yeah, all right. Well done. <laughs> I guess that kind of taps nicely into, I suppose, our first question was, so you completed a Bachelor of Commerce and then a Bachelor of Nutrition Science, which is yeah. how Eliza and I met you. Mm-hmm. Um do you mind talking a bit about, I guess, what you majored in in commerce and why you didn't follow, I think you've mentioned before, is that typical commerce path accounting grad way mm-hmm. and shifted into nutrition and how the two have kind of molded together nicely in terms of looking at trends and stuff in your current role? Yeah, so I probably realised or knew very early on that I had a love for nutrition and food as early as my high school days. But to be honest, my parents did deter me from nutrition, telling me (laughs) harrowing stories of how difficult it was to get a job. So I followed through on a more quote-unquote stable job um, or job path, which was into accounting and finance and commerce. Um, And through that commerce degree, did things like economics, uh, marketing, finance. Um, So during that degree, halfway during that degree, I thought to myself, life is too short to not follow through with what you really want to be doing. Um, Sure, I could be doing accounting and finance, but it's not what really, really makes me tick. Mm. Um, It's not, you know, you don't go, woo, accounting. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas, you know, when you see food, you're like, mmm, food. Yeah. So um, I think halfway during it, I thought I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go for it. But I was already two years into my commerce degree. So I thought I'm going to finish this commerce degree because I know that it is very transferable in terms of skills, in terms of knowledge, in terms of how businesses work, um, which of course then came in handy when I came into food industry. I think it's like great that you've been able to give yourself in as a nutritionist that edge in having that background. Do you think that um, in your current role, that has kind of really helped you thrive like in like having both of those degrees yeah so I'll be completely honest but knowing again it's contentious um the commerce degree has helped me but only because I've also had a very strong business mindset from the very very get-go so it's hard to say if it's my commerce degree or that business mind itself um so it's definitely helped me understand in terms of how businesses run what things businesses have to deal with from a financial profit perspective, um, how the economy works, things like that. But in saying that, I also know a lot of very successful nutritionists and dietitians that work in the food industry that have had no commerce training but have had learned on the job and mm. thrive. Um, so I don't think it's essential, but it gave me an edge from the start, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And do you think that your nutrition degree would have, if you'd only done that, prepared you well enough for what you're currently doing? Probably not. I think as a nutrition student wanting to go into food industry, you have to be selective in what you then pursue outside your nutrition degree. So if you're interested in food industry, you might look into things like what are the trends that food companies are into? um, What are the new product development that's starting to roll on the shelves? How does that all work? So I think... um, just a nutrition degree alone probably would have not been able to set you apart as a student. I think it's that stuff that you seek out, that knowledge that you learn by yourself, but it doesn't have to be through a formal degree. Yeah, I think that comes with any job as well. So you've got to be, specifically in the food industry, for example, if you're not paying attention to what's actually happening in the market and you're focused on your biochemistry and your basic physiology, well, that's a bad thing, but it, it doesn't translate well because it shows uh, forgive me if I'm wrong but you don't have that whole rounded view of how the food industry is actually functioning if that makes sense like you've got to make it a drive for yourself to research that yeah exactly right and also beyond that is that um everything that you do even in a nutrition role at a food company has to ultimately drive the overall business objectives Mm. so um 
all businesses run to one feed people and also to make a profit so ultimately whatever you do from a nutrition perspective has to somehow roll up into that bigger picture mm. so if you understand how that bigger picture works then you're more able to fine-tune the things you do as a nutrition team or a nutritionist um, as an initiative in the company to help drive that for the business mm. and do you find or well, I guess there's a bit of a, a misconception sometimes about nutritionists and dietitians working in the food industry and almost like they're seen as playing devil's advocate in a way mm -hmm. do you find that an issue with your work do you find that health isn't always at the forefront of what you're doing that sort of, like about that sort of space I guess yeah you word that very well I should probably re <laughs> that but anyway uh, I think you did a great job I, I understood it um, but maybe I probably I'm going to put this one back on you guys mm -hmm. um, if you think about the stigma of working in food food industry what words pop in your mind I think for me because I did do a food industry placement I don't see it in a certain way like I understand mm -hmm. that it plays a role um, and that well, for me in my placement was food reg. It was purely food reg looking at nutrition information panels. So I suppose for me, again, health wasn't at the forefront. It was definitely more of almost a legal compliance side, but that didn't necessarily mean it was a bad thing. Like to me, it was like we'd look at that nutrition information panel and go, okay, so what claims can we make off this? Can we go back to PD&T and say... Can we manipulate a pro product to increase its protein content by this much? And therefore, it can be a, seen as a source of protein. And that can be translated to the public as, you know, dairy is a source of protein. Like, mm. that's a very overall picture. But I've never... I don't think I felt that it was an issue. But I think coming out of uni, I've seen that there's a bit of contrast, I guess. Mm. And I think, like, <laughs> for me doing not doing a nutrition degree doing a nutrition and dietetics degree yeah food like industry was never shown to me as an option and I think that's telling in itself in yeah. that like you're a dietitian that's not your job which is fine mm. I, I think like it's a great position for a nutritionist to be in if that's you know that's what you're trained to do and we are in to a certain capacity as well but just the way that the um courses and things are structured I wasn't really like I never, it never even crossed my mind to go into food industry. And then people like you guys were doing these placements. And I was like, that's really cool that you're having this impact. Yeah. But I don't really feel like my degree would have prepared me at all for that industry. Yeah. Which I think is like, yeah, telling in itself of the way that uh, it's just not even an option. It's yeah. Not where a dietitian goes. Yeah. It's not health related kind of space around it, but not specifically set. Yeah. yeah. So by association, it therefore becomes less positive because mm, yeah because you're not promoted to do that role um so some words that i probably heard around working in the food industry are probably very polarizing words sellout is probably mm. one or slave to big business or not a true nutritionist or dietitian and i disagree with all of that oh, um, for sure for the very get-go um because if somebody asks, what's the ultimate goal of nutritionists and dietitians, all of us, what's the ultimate goal? It's to improve nutritional intake. Right. No matter like, what. Promote health. Where, yeah. Promote health. Yeah. Right. That's it. And one way to do that is through improving the food supply. Yeah. And what better way to do that than to be in those companies improving the food supply? So you firsthand see exactly what it takes from the growers to the manufacturers, the um factory hands to the product development people to the logistic teams even mm. um, the amount of love and hard work it takes to go into that food and ultimately how you can have an impact within that company to improve that food so I think ultimately we are all on the same side definitely I, yeah, yeah I think it's a bit of a shame that there's been a little bit of a um you versus me mentality mm. I still think there's um, a good thing about having public health people push for good outcomes because, again, we need them to keep us accountable. But ultimately, food industry nutritionists and dietitians are hired to keep the company accountable yeah. to good nutrition and corporate responsibility. And I think it is almost... I, I actually think your boss came in and talked to us at one point and said that it almost is a public health role. Mm. You're, you're influencing the way that people are eating, like you said, and it's just without them knowing. Yes. It's changing the way that they're consuming food and 
if you can reduce something, I think her example was salt in some chips and macros or something, mm-hmm. that that can affect the lives of so many people and therefore, you know, it's like small steps, but in the end, it can really improve the health of the public. Yeah. Which I think is a great way of looking at yeah. it. Yeah. So, for example, it's important, our nutrition strategy is to improve 100,000 tonnes of product. That feeds a lot of people. Yeah. Mm. So by improving that volume of products, you, you again, doing the health by stealth, like you were saying, yeah. Bran, it's reducing it without people knowing. So I think ultimately it may not necessarily seem like a glamorous job, but it actually really is. Mm. It's a really exciting place to work. Um, I think you really have a really big impact mm. if, you, if you know what to do. And also then you get exposure to the things like marketing, nutrition through marketing, and what can you do, what shouldn't you do. So there's always going to be a case of ethics. What are you comfortable doing and what are you not? But I think if you hold yourself to a high regard or um, you keep your ethics strong, um, then working in the food industry is a really great place to be. Yeah. 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 And I think like just reflecting on it from my standpoint in terms of working one-on-one with clients and things... Mm -hmm having people like you working in those industries gives me the reassurance that I can recommend that product, for example, without having any affiliation with the brand, knowing that there's thought that's gone into it and it makes navigating that consumer's decisions a little bit easier, yeah. which we don't, we don't really think about when we're talking to someone about food. But if you know that you're in an environment that's safe and effective and is going to give them good nutritional options, mm-hmm. that's going to make it a lot easier for the client to kind of improve their own health at an individual level, but then also at a population level because that's your food supply. Yeah. So it makes it like without directly working together, it is all intertwined yeah. in the way that yeah we practice. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point too because, again... Um, I think originally before I started working in the food industry, I had a very purist method of cooking and eating. Um, and I think part of that is being a millennial, <laughs> buying yeah. into that trend of, you know, wholesome living, farmers markets, doing things as natural as you can, wearing linen, you know, <laughs> having canvas bags. And I still probably have and do a lot of those. Um, but in terms of the sense that a lot of people... Um, also, it's not that's not achievable for a lot of people. Mm. Yeah, and in reality, the purest lifestyle is um, probably applies to a very small percentage of the population. Well, it's very. I mean, we've had conversations off mic about this, but it's oh, controversial. But it's quite elitist. Yeah. Yes. There's only, like you say, a subset of the population that can achieve that, and you've got you've got to be in quite a privileged position to be able to be in a space to think about that, let alone actually do it. So if you can sort of come down the back end and help improve that sort of stuff mm-hmm. to apply to a larger population level, you're essentially making, again, those small steps. Mm-hmm. It's doing a lot of little things imperfectly to mm-hmm. add up to making it perfect, basically. Yeah, being a nutritionist and being a millennial, I think it's hard not to sometimes buy into that lifestyle because mm-hmm. that's what people expect us to portray yeah. sometimes, I think. Um, but yeah, I think there's a place for every food. Um, it's just frequency and knowing how to interact with those foods. Yeah. Mm. yeah, it makes, I think, yeah, just reflecting on it from a consumer point, it just makes it so much easier to, like, access good food. Yes, because, you know, that's all what we really want from for our clients and for our population. So, you know, obviously that, that's a necessary job and needs to like work needs to be done. So yeah, I think it's awesome that we can kind of work collaborative collaboratively in that way without actually directly working together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All those little bits of the puzzle I yeah. guess that fit into this larger picture that is how to improve people's health, which is a complex, complex issue. Mm. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And like I think something that is a big conversation is just food access in general and if people are going to supermarket which are often painted in a certain sort of light Mm -hmm. not necessarily positive if you can influence that chain and how the products sit on the shelves then I think you've captured a very large audience's health personally Mm. I think it's really important yeah and that's also in just the at-home space so outside Mm. supermarkets that's a whole part of food industry that works in meals outside home so meals that you would eat at a hotel or um, a restaurant like the beautiful brunch we were having this morning there are food that's food industry behind all those selling the raw ingredients Mm. or half pre-made or whatever it is um, 
food to those places then that gets served back to you when you finally yeah. eat it at a restaurant mm-hmm. level. So that's this whole side of food industry that people haven't even realised is out there. That's a giant opportunity for us to improve. Do you find that frustrating that it's... I guess, I guess we're sort of talking about that misconception, I guess, of the food industry. Do you find it frustrating that people might underestimate your role and the power of the food industry in a, in a positive way, not in a capitalist way? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think not so much. I'm quietly happy knowing what I do makes an impact. Mm. And, um, and yes, there needs to be work on helping people understand what it is, the full extent of what we do. We don't just reduce salt and reduce sugar. That's not all of what we do. We look to um, help foods retain the most nutritional value once it gets picked and harvested all the way down to being frozen or packed or canned, whatever it is, we help it get to where it needs to be. So uh, it's a whole bigger picture of what we do. And again, in food service, um, it's like making foods that are suitable for schools or universities that comply by guidelines, things like that. There's a whole bunch of things that we um, we do that people don't realise. I'm secretly happy in myself knowing that mm. I do those things and it's very stimulating to be able to be exposed to so many elements of food in different settings. Um, but yeah, I think there is work to be done. So obviously in your role, it's... A huge benefit that you are a nutritionist but are there other people working around you that are not qualified in nutrition in a similar role or do you have to be a nutritionist or dietitian to be doing what you're doing in my role yes but it's interesting because both nutritionists and dietitians can do that role equally alike because we're all trained in nutrition science and also have done components of public health mm-hmm. in our degrees. Mm-hmm. So we understand how food is made or food systems um, and how to nutritionally improve foods. Um, but yeah, so it has that flexibility of being either nutritionist or dietitian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, like why you didn't do dietetics yeah <laughs> nice <laughs> nicely <laughs> good yeah. not a difficult question yeah. at all <laughs> yeah. um, so I always knew I wanted to work in food industry mm-hmm. um, and because I saw how many people I could impact by working in that role um, personally the one on one consultations doesn't suit my personality so I was automatically inclined or leaned towards the bigger picture thinking, which was mm. food industry. Um, so I never wanted to do it. But um, yeah, so it's really interesting because I was always offered to do dietetics um, at yeah. Monash. Um, it's almost seen like seen in the industry, in the department even, as the natural progression. You do your nutrition degree, then you go on to do diet- dietetics. You're a dietitian now. Yeah. And that's almost... That's what makes you the expert in nutrition, yeah, is and that dietetic qualification. There's almost a stigma around staying a nutritionist mm. because I think it comes down to, for me personally, it comes down to the regulation around the title dietitian and nutritionist. Like, you can kind of do a lot less and call yourself a nutritionist, but being a registered nutritionist and having that degree behind you mm. is so valuable and it's it's equal in its own right to dietetics, but it's not seen as that. Yeah, so I didn't do dietetics because I, well, I thought to myself, I don't want to work in clinical. I don't want to go down that path. So why would I waste my time doing something that won't serve me in the career path that I have chosen? Yeah. Mm. So I agree with you. There definitely is a hierarchy where dietetics is a higher qualification than nutritionists if you want to do those jobs. Mm-hmm. However, if you're working in public health, or food industry, I still think that nutritionists and dietitians do the same job. Therefore, why would I spend an extra year of my time doing a dietetics degree when I don't need that clinical yeah. skills? Um, to me, I think there there is this disjoint between, first of all, why are we all funnel-necked, uh, bottle-necked, funnel-necked, funneled, <laughs> funneled into doing a dietetics degree? Shouldn't there be more of a question of, you can do this in nutrition as a mm. field. Yes. And to do these things, you need to be a dietitian. To do these things, you can be a nutritionist. Yeah. And really pull apart those roles well so people don't just go down the dietetics route and then realise they're pigeonholed into something clinical. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I was going to say, like, the degree that you did, both of you did, 
equips you much better to work in food industry than the degree that I did, just touching on what we said before. Like, I had no experience with food industry. I didn't really have any sort of... Yeah, as I said, no, there wasn't. it wasn't presented as an option to me, but the way that you guys were given placement in that area and a lot more kind of background knowledge for it, that would have much better equipped you for your job than my degree did. Yeah. Which isn't a bad thing because obviously we're working in very different areas, mm-hmm. but... Like, it's just nice that you've been able to find that place, but there's still such a stigma around the term nutritionist. Yeah. So the question then falls back on you guys, really. What do you think about, again, Liza, you were saying about dietitians and nutritionists and registered nutritionists. Mm -hmm. Do you think there is a hierarchy or, and who imposes that hierarchy? I think it comes from, it's hard to put your finger on it because it's sort of a societal thing but within the nutrition industry so because as a dietitian you're registered with the DAA you're an APD you know you've you've met this set of standards you're accredited um I think that gives dietitians a certain um yeah like that's what I am this is what I do and you have to fight for that role because in society people aren't aware of what a dietitian like from just from my personal experience they don't know what a dietitian does. Mm. And so we're constantly having to sort of set ourselves aside and above other people who are qualified in nutrition, not in terms of saying I'm better than a nutritionist, but here's my specific skill set and here's what I'm qualified to do where a nutritionist is not. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, as I just said, you're so much more qualified to work in food industry than I am. So, you know, I don't think there should be a hierarchy, but they're in especially in the nutrition industry itself it's kind of seen as this way mm-hmm. and then I think that as well translates into dietetics at a like a smaller level in the perception that clinical nutrition working in a hospital setting is the gold standard which we've talked about endlessly in this yes. podcast mm-hmm. um because it's not right for everyone and there's hardly any jobs in that area yeah. so like if we can kind of take a step back and look at it from you know we can work together mm-hmm. and we're just as valuable to society and useful as each other. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't we, like, why do we need to see ourselves as more or less? Yeah. Like, it's just silly. But, yeah. And I think in terms of looking at nutritionist, as in the term nutritionist and registered, being registered and having a degree, mm-hmm. because there's very little regulation around that term, it's hard for especially nutritionist people like yourself to put yourself apart from people who haven't done that degree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're constantly both in both industries having to fight for our title mm. because the bodies that represent us are perhaps not quite there yet in terms of communicating to the public what we're qualified to do and what, what our roles are. Mm. I don't know if that kind of answers yeah, your question at all. So some of that is imposed, you're saying by ourselves yeah. in attempt to make a role or to elevate our own field we have separated it into levels mm. and dietitian is one of those levels and nutritionist is one of those levels but when both are qualified we actually like you said work in different areas of the food system towards the same goal so exactly. therefore one is not better than the other it's just different yes yeah and so for the listener the main difference between a nutritionist and a dietitian is that a dietitian has the clinical training to apply nutrition science in a clinical setting so applying it to an individual or to a specific population and coming up with specific advice that will allow that person or population to improve their nutritional status it's more it's looking at it more clinically whereas a nutritionist is qualified in nutrition science and they're taught basically to see the bigger picture and so that's why a nutritionist is much more suited to food industry where they're influencing things at a they're looking at the food we're looking at the person basically that's a great distinction i think is that we have that skill for i think daa call it dietary counseling Mm -hmm. like individual dietary therapy is essentially what the wording that they've used and i think there's this association that that's somehow better because it's one-on-one yeah personable skills the whole lot that comes with that but that I think it's an equal playing field. I don't think it's... It might be more translatable to the person who needs it. Exactly. But 
what about the people who don't or can't afford that access or haven't even thought about that they don't know what a dietitian is like mm. it's great that we're all on the same level and that nutritionist can also play a role but just in a different way yeah, yeah. and like you in your role as a nutritionist you're never going to need that skill of nutritional like dietetic counseling no because it's you, you're never going to use it and no. so why bother spending that extra money on a master's degree just to do the same role yeah and perhaps not as effectively because you've not had that food industry placement yeah so yeah I think it's definitely worth for the listener thinking about the value that you personally place on like titles in this industry because it, we all have our role to play and we're all working towards the same goal yeah. so mm-hmm. if you hadn't known that you wanted to go into food industry would you have thought about doing the masters because I know for people that I went through uni with, they weren't sure, and myself included, in what I wanted to do. I was quite young. I knew that I wanted to work in nutrition, but I wasn't sure where. So I did the master's to get myself into more debt and to also <laughs> have that extra skill set, just in case. It was yeah. literally just a backup plan in case I figured that I did want to do it. I didn't want to go back mm-hmm. and study in another 15 years or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Do you think, had you not, yeah, had you not known you wanted to do food industry, would you have done the master's? I think yes. Yeah. Just because for the extra versatility of the degree, yeah. like you said, just an extra year and a half mm. would then allow me to do so many other things. If I hadn't had known and if I wasn't sure, I would have done the dietetics degree. Yeah. However, um, again, with my, um, my subset <laughs> of skills in commerce and nutrition, exactly. I was already pretty sure. Yeah. And I thought if I didn't end up working in nutrition... There are all other areas that I could branch out into in the commercial world that could still help me apply nutrition in a broad sense. Yeah. Um, so luckily I was sure, but you're right. If I wasn't sure, I would have probably have picked the master's degree as well. Mm-hmm. But even those, again, speaking anecdotally, friends who didn't know what they wanted to do and finished after nutrition science have ended up in the food industry and are loving it. Like they just sort of took what opportunities came to them and they've stumbled into an area that they've loved and it's not by planning or any force or anything but it's just something that's happened and I think this touches on a whole different conversation but it's that there's so much pressure to plan and have the perfect career Mm -hmm. that sometimes we forget those serendipitous moments of just stumbling into something can be just as rewarding in your career Mm. as planning it can be for others yeah I agree. You have to be very flexible, especially this day and age. It's it's pretty competitive and hard yeah. to get a job mm-hmm. and a full-time stable one at that. Um, so I think the more that we then realise that, yeah, I'm going to try different things and I might enjoy it is, is probably the way to go these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, just on a side note, like, of course the uni is going to prompt you to do your master's because it's more money for them. Yeah. Like, it just makes sense, right? And that's it. I think people forget that, yes, university is a great social experience, but in the end, it's a business as well. Yeah. They Mm -hmm. want your money, and that's not... It's just the way that the world's gone. It's not something that we can fix, and there is definitely that pressure to have higher education for a job. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you've got to take that step back and go, some some people didn't do the master's because they were like, that's a lot of money that I don't feel comfortable paying back later on. And that's totally fine. That's something that people don't often consider where a lot of the people who go into the nutrition and dietetic areas are quite privileged and are are able to go to university, can afford to stay out of home and do a course, but that's not the case for everyone. Mm. So you've got to step back and think about that bigger life picture as well, not just career. Mm. Well said. Yeah. And I mean, looking at it in terms of whether that is going to get you a good career. Like, you've got a great career and you haven't Mm -hmm. done... Like, you know, like, in comparison to where I'm working at the moment, you're much more established in your role and you're, you know, you're doing really well for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I've kind of had that realisation post-graduating that maybe what I've done... Not that it was wrong for me and I'm, like, I feel like dietetics is perfectly suited to me, but that I've kind of had to take a back route in my own way to sort of get to where I can see myself being later on but you know you, you've landed yourself a great job and you're doing well at it so mm. why bother you know wasting an extra year and a half studying something you're not going to use yeah so like we've talked about um we've mentioned about I guess that evolving self-care and evolving work-life balance that you've kind of had that's naturally ebbed and flowed throughout university and your job now 
do you think that's changed, I suppose, more than we've talked about in terms of that self-care stuff? And how does that mirror with sort of what you're like at school? Like different stages of your life, I suppose. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so there's probably several parts of that question. Um, I think, yeah, we're going a while back. So um, probably about 10 years ago when I was in high school, I uh, didn't probably have a very good self-care routine. I think it wasn't the time... I think it was it was just when self-care was starting to become a thing. So it wasn't well known back then. Yeah, it's not something we're taught. No, mm. and you're, you're so young and so absorbed into how to do well at school, how to fit in with your friendship groups. Mm. I don't think you take time to recognise the uniqueness of you as an individual. Yeah. You look more to blend in and how to be cool as a already realised concept as opposed to investigating the notion of your true self and how that's mm-hmm. special and why people would then want to hang out with you. So over time, how that's evolved was, I guess, I recognised a need to know who I was first and to back away from what people were saying that you should be um, and to, to, to self-explore. And when I started to self-explore, then I realised the importance of spending time with myself for that because... You, you don't just learn about yourself once and then you close the book. It's sort of an evolving thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think you change so much. Again, we were talking about that before, but you change so much. So you constantly have to look into yourself and ask yourself sometimes those questions 10, 20 times in the span of years just mm-hmm. to make sure that those things haven't changed, your values haven't changed, what you want is probably different over that time from what you were when you were in high school to what you are during university to what you want as an adult working so um, I think it's just ramped up for me the importance of that so I spend more and more time these days reflecting and being with myself for that reason Mm. and do you think there was a a point where it was like a switch that flicked in terms of that just became a thing that you did or was it sort of more of a process of you just began enjoying that time by yourself and just began enjoying it more and more and then that became a priority what was that I guess journey kind of like um that journey probably came from a place of what is true happiness (laughs) (laughs) yeah I'm sorry I'm taking this to that level but again coming from the history that I've come from having a long, very long standing with depression for over probably 10 years, um, to me it always intrigued me, the notion of how to truly be happy. Mm-hmm. So I think when I w- wondered what makes one person happy, um, then I realised it's not a formula that you apply to every person's life and that you will all achieve happiness. What happiness means to everybody is so unique and so different and takes a lot of time to procure and to really nail down what makes one person happy and another person happy. Um, Yeah, so I think that's what it came from, just the need to to make sure that mentally I was in a really strong place. I think Mm -hmm. it's difficult being a woman, being a young woman in the 21st Mm -hmm. century. Um, So really understanding the true value of women, female empowerment, or um, empowering the youth. For example, and knowing you can be young, you can be female, but still really have some really strong ideas, really know yourself really well, and be really confident in what you do. So I think that all tied in into becoming an adult, really. How did you How did you get to the point where you realised that this is what you needed in yourself to be happy? Mm-hmm. How did I get to that <laughs> point? Yeah, how did I get to that point? That's such a strange question sometimes, because I think for me it was get better, Mm-hmm. or the alternative was bleak. Yeah. So I had already spiraled to to the lowest of low points. So for me it was there was only one way up. Yeah. Um so and then I started to explore those things like those notions like mm. true happiness, vulnerability, creativity, women empowerment. Um and then it sort of became this thirst for learning like you you just get so absorbed into wanting to know more and what do other people go through in their lives because everybody experiences their own profound journeys to self-identity and Mm. how is that for other people so I think 
I think like you said, it was just like a snowball effect. It, one thing led to another and I just wanted to know more and more and more. And I'm just such a curious creature that I think it led to this love for, for human connectivity. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And we've talked a bit about it off air, but like, it's really nice that you've kind of come to this place that you're now feeling not necessarily that it's through your current work, yeah. but that you're motivated to help other people with see that. Mm. Because, like, I mean, for me as well, throughout high school and, you know, even early in uni, you're not really given that kind of support in terms of personal development and really, like, yes, we're taught reflect, reflective practice, but not necessarily in the sense of what's actually best for us. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of us have this kind of moment, not necessarily like a, a breaking point, you know, suddenly you realise, but, like, over time as we age, mm-hmm. you kind of realise that, you've got so much more potential, mm. which is really nice. Yeah. And I think that's good that you've been able to recognise that, but still also be very effective in the roles that you've done and the projects that you've worked on. Yeah. Um, but it kind of just drives you, don't you think? Like yeah. It, yeah. I think it does. And, and a part of that is probably um, confidence. Mm-hmm. So as you learn more about yourself and you get older, like you were saying, you start to solidify who you are, so who... Branafi is, who Liza <laughs> is, you know, you really, you have a better understanding and then with that comes confidence and when you're confident, what you put out into the world is so much better received because people can, they believe you when you say you can do certain things because you're confident in yourself. Yeah. Mm. So I think that helps in any setting, private mm. practice, food industry, because mm. you're working against people that are older than you and have years and years and years of experience and yes, you always have to be humble and still learn from them, mm-hmm. but you still need that element of, I know what I'm doing. I'm confident that I've done the degree I needed to, I've got the skills I needed to, um, and now it's about how to fine tune that and learn through doing. Yeah. Oh, that's really nice. I'm glad that you've been able to have that journey and get to that point because mm-hmm. it's, I think, really valuable for the listener to hear that because it's a path that we all have to go on but no one's journey looks the same as each other's you know like Mm. we're all exposed to different stimuli and different things that cause the way that we think and the way that we act so it's nice to know that that's normal to kind of have to have that growth Mm. I think it's undervalued as well in terms of how it can develop like you said across so many other areas of life Mm. it's not just your career it's that progresses you as a person and the way that you interact with other people and the way that you are able to form relationships that are meaningful because you know what's meaningful to you, it's that sort of mutual understanding of where that sits in the world and where that sits with you as well, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask what you both think is the mental health state of new graduates, of new nutrition and dietetic graduates? Like, what do you think? (laughs) It's so bad. Yeah. And I think in dietetics especially, actually probably more so in nutrition Mm. science, Mm. There's just not really the support there in terms of, like, that innovative, you need to go out and do what you want to do. There's kind of this expectation that you graduate and you go and do what you're sort of told to do, which is really damaging because... It stops you. It creates barriers. No one wants to do that. Yeah. Exactly. And for, like, I think that's what this podcast was born out of, was that you've got... 200 plus graduates for dietetics alone. I can't imagine how many nutrition graduates there are. Mm. There are. Um, and you literally, you've got, you've had a whole degree planned out for you and you've gotten everything thought about and you've got vague ideas of what you want to do, but then you just let out into the world. And it's like the stories that we were told at the end of well, my degree anyway was the master's, sorry, was that people were working in retail for the next year because yeah. they couldn't find a job. And like that was just sort of seen as, that what was, was what was going to happen. And yes, that may be the case, but you're not... I think mentally, yes, you can prepare yourself for it, but for me especially, it hit home after I finished and after I was working in a cafe for six months going, I've got a master's degree and I'm still making coffee for people, which in itself to me, I needed that six months off yeah. and it was very... To me, making coffee was super therapeutic, but it's not the same for everybody and it's not something that gives me fulfillment in the way that working in my area that I want to work in does Mm. um and I can speak for a lot of people that they get down in the dumps for want of a better term after finishing no matter if they did nutrition science or dietetics and sometimes that can happen 
a couple of years after they're finished mm. or it happens straight away. It's a big, we've talked a lot about existentialist crisis, it's, mm. it's a big mental battle because you've got to consider the fact that you're in X amount of debt but you also want a job just to keep you afloat for like living standards but you also want to do something in the area that you're trained in and you've kind of got to yeah. find some sort of middle ground between the three because you know that for your own mental health, you want to work in the area that you want to work in, that you've trained in, but you can't always. It's yeah. sort of this constant battle of, oh, what was the point of going to uni for four and a half years yeah. if I'm not going to and work I, in that area? Yeah, and I think for me, like, there was a big moment of, I have all of these ideas and all this education behind me, but there's no job in existence that fits what I want to do and how I can see myself having the best possible outcome in terms of social change and like my my impact Mm. so I think it's really disheartening as a new grad to kind of it's like cool we're done now what yeah and then to be told here's the gold standard of clinical nutrition or whatever you know here's what a dietitian or a nutritionist does but I don't feel like that's hitting our full potential we have so much more behind us than that in terms of our education around the social determinants of health and industry for you guys. Mm. But we're not really told how to integrate that into our roles. And I think wherever, like a lot of us, wherever we end up, we end up being able to find a way to bring our personal beliefs into it. But it's really hard to navigate, which is kind of sad. So Mm. what's your advice then to new grads? (sighs) I think, to me, the best advice I was, just take a break. Mm. I'm really, really grateful that I took six months off. And to be fair, I'm in a very privileged position where I was able to. I could live at home and didn't have to pay rent or pay bills. And not so, And when I say I took six months off, I still worked basically full-time in a cafe and did netball umpiring and things. But I just wasn't doing something yeah, for once. Yeah, take some I'd time been, out. Yeah, because I'd been at school since prep. Like, I'd been learning since prep, but it really took me that six months to appreciate how much I really enjoyed learning, like you've said a couple of times, and really reflect on where I wanted to go with my career. Um, I think it's very undervalued. I think, I keep saying that in this podcast, but I I generally think some of these things are, that that point of self-reflection, like you've said, can give you so many more insights into what you want to do and how you want to work and how you want the rest of your life to pan out than if you just keep churning through a system that you've been told to churn through. Mm. Yeah. And, like, it doesn't have to happen straight away. Like, mm-hmm. the... I mean, same for me. Like, I took my current job because I saw it as a step, a step sideways in terms of I was learning the admin side of private practice so that I could apply it laid down the track if I chose to go out on my own. But I've still gotten so much... It's a very rewarding job to do, even though it's, like, a support role. It's not anything... You know, I'm not directly influencing patients' behaviour and stuff. But I think it's really important to notice the value of having that moment of stepping away from the industry, having a bit of self-reflection and being able to then learn from that and decide what you want to do and how you're going to get there. Mm -hmm. What would you say? Because I suppose you've had a bit of an atypical... Atypical journey. Yeah, so I haven't stopped since prep. I've not had... (laughs) I had a week in between my final exams and my simplot job. <laughs> yeah. Woo-hoo. So it was, yeah, it was on the go. I didn't take a break between commerce and nutrition science. Um, but I think part of that was my own, like, my own craving for pace. Mm. So I needed to keep the ball going. I needed to know what's next, how to do it. And that's just my personality at this point in time. Mm. So I need to know how to get there. What's my next step? let's do, let's do, let's do. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, it's sometimes a little bit unrealistic, but I've been very fortunate enough to be able to make, to pull that off for myself. Um, my advice to new grads would be to be creative. Like you said, Liza, um, sometimes we don't fit into a box. Um, we want to do all these things, but there's no job that marries those up for us. Yeah. Mm. Um, so like what you guys are doing with your podcasts, you know, you take what you you love, the things you put them together and, you test them out and you, you try to create new avenues for yourself. And while that not might not, you know, automatically make you millionaires overnight, um, you, it's, it's ways to explore yeah. that while doing something else on the side and then, and then see where that career path takes you on. Cause at some point those things converge and you might find something really rewarding that combines those things. Um, but yeah, it's difficult because in terms of mentorship, if you're, 
um, if you're going out as a new grad and there's nobody that can model that career path for you, um, then you have to be a pioneer. Mm, yeah. And it takes a lot of courage and a lot of strength and uh, um, being comfortable with failing a million times. Um, and so I think resilience is probably the biggest one. Don't let the idea of failure stop you from trying as a new grad. Mm. Don't be afraid for applying for roles that you think might be related to nutrition, but not fully what you it might be might not be called a nutritionist or dietitian job, mm. but you know, in corporate quality or product development, um, or nutrition marketing or going yeah. in through that way through a marketing route. Just don't be afraid to pigeon like don't pigeonhole yourself and don't be afraid to try new things mm. and be very resilient through it all so it doesn't get to you because key through all of this is mental health. Yeah. You uphold your mental health and what's good for you. Yeah. And try new things. And like you say, we've had a chat off air about the fact that the career is female dominated. I think that's pretty obvious. Um, and I guess that the, the trouble, maybe not the trouble, but the challenge of that is that often women will have kids or it, it can really put a stint in the length of your career, I guess as a female, which is an entirely different podcast that we can mm. talk about. But I suppose as someone who has been out for a couple of years and definitely had more working experience than the two of us, how do you view the length of a nutrition career? Or have you been around people who have managed to sustain a nutritional career for an extensive amount of time? And what have they done to achieve that, I guess? Yeah, I, I've got both sides of the coin on this one Mm. so I've got people that I know that been working 20 25 years in food industry and have managed to sustain this amazing nutrition career there and become a nutrition manager for example like Kim um, Mm. my manager at Simplot or then you have people like Gemma O'Hanlon who's done lots of different things in food industry and probably has had what 15 year career yeah Yeah, in food industry as well so she's also done really really well um but then I've also seen people that have transitioned out of nutrition because, again, there are limits in terms of how many nutrition jobs that there can be out there. Mm-hmm. And at some point, you hit a ceiling of how high you can necessarily reach. So it's it's up to you to then decide if you want to stay that nutrition course or if you want to maybe progress to something else that might be more rewarding in terms of career progression. Um, nutrition can be quite flat it's often like you've got your grads you've got your basic level then you've got your managers it's Mm. often pretty sort of flat there's not much room for yeah progression yeah there's not many steps especially in the more traditional roles like Mm. clinical dietetics for example like you go you get a new grad job in your hospital you go through your grades Mm. and then that's it yeah like there's not really unless you're going into like managerial positions you're not really progressing and even in that higher level position you're not like obviously I don't know but you're not having that much more of an impact in terms of progressing the industry yeah yes no I think that's fair to say I think a lot of nutrition managers would in hospitals for example would Mm. say that they don't get much patient contact Mm. they do a lot of the admin side of things and advocating and funding and all that sort of stuff which is which is important I understand that but it whether or not everyone's stimulated by that and knows that that's where the clinical ladder gets you to, I don't know if that message is out there. So I understand where you're coming from, Rox, in saying that it's very flat. That yeah, there yeah. is only so far you can go, and yeah. whether that matches up with your personal values or not, you just have to think about that. And mm-hmm. we're not we're not told about that at yeah. all. And then that's why you have that lateral step, like we were always talking about, um, whether you go from you know, food industry to public health, public health to food industry, you know, clinical dietetics to food industry or one or the other, there's that lateral pathway that sometimes you can jump to to add breath into your mm-hmm. career and just to change it up for yourself to make your career more rewarding. Um, but then I've also seen nutritionists that have gone into marketing and that's been amazingly brilliant because mm-hmm. then you learn how to market health to the mm, consumers and, yeah. yeah get into the mind of the consumers now how powerful is that that's not uncommon I know there's a couple of people at Lion who have done that like mm. that are just sidestepped entirely and say I don't work in dietetics anymore mm. I'm a marketing manager mm-hmm. so it's pretty pretty cool so I think like again I think don't limit yourself so know where see things for what they are and if you're not comfortable with that be prepared to veer off slightly mm. to an unconventional path 
Um, and I think somebody said it to me beautifully. Somebody from HR said it, but you own your career path. Mm. You have to take control of it. Mm. You can't just rely on people to promote you up the ladder or to give you a job and to offer you new opportunities because that's not how it happens. Um, you have to go out there and you have to pursue it with a passion and an intensity that it takes to, you know, fight yeah, the good fight. Yeah. yeah. And I think, like, that ties in really nicely to what you were saying before about knowing your personal identity and what makes what drives you, what makes you happy. Yeah. If you can find a way to integrate that into your career and that can really drive you, mm-hmm. you're going to be so much better off and more effective mm-hmm. in whatever role you're working in because you're actually passionate about the work that you're doing. Mm. So like, I think a lot of nutrition careers right now are quite rigid. They're not very flexible in terms of giving us um, the personal growth that we need in order to be effective. But if we can somehow inspire that in people and they can have a really big change at their own level, whatever it is, that's going to give us a better industry as a whole. Yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully. Well, I agree. I think we've, as we've sort of mentioned, nutrition's a personal thing. And mm-hmm. if you don't have that personal drive as a nutrition practitioner, whatever, wherever you're at, I think it can put a bit of a kick in how much of an impact you can make. So, moral of the story, do what you like are passionate about (laughs) (laughs) yeah you'll find a way to make it work yeah it doesn't have to happen straight away I think we're all as like our generation is very driven to be successful straight out the bat but like it it's never going to be like that and you can do that within whatever role you're working in Mm. you know like my current job is not what I want to be doing long term but I still get fulfillment with it and I'm still able to integrate and use my own personal values to make it better for me and for my like the people that I'm working with so I think it's important to recognise that, like, we might not all get to where we want to be straight away, but, like, we can still try and enjoy where we are. Yeah. 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 And create your own jobs where, mm. where there are no jobs. Be very creative with how you invent your jobs. Yeah. 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 Very nice. Mm-hmm. Well, should we wrap up with our final question yeah for sure I know we've already touched on this a little bit throughout the course of the discussion today but we always wrap up with this question for all of our guests Mm -hmm. um so we wanted to ask you what does food mean to you food food is happiness to me seriously like a bowl of warm noodles is all I need in my life It's because it's cold and all I want is a bowl of warm udon noodles (laughs) with a runny egg yolk and some beautiful veggies in it. Oh, Um, food is happiness um, to me, but I think I've touched on it when I say it's 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 my little meditation device. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, when you cook food and you interact with it, whether or not it's as simple as taking a can of tuna and mixing it through roast veggies or whatever, or going to the extent of making your own bread. I think all of it is such a beautiful thing. Food is such a beautiful thing. Um, it takes so much for food to get on our plates. So much time and love needs to go on it from when you grow it to when you cook it to when you pack it off or whatever it is. Um, so I think when you eat food, don't just eat it. Realize what food means to people. It's more than just functionality, and it's more than just health. It's, it's happiness. It's, you know, people's meaning. People's, think to, what's the, people's purpose for being. <laughs> I can't get it out. I can't speak out. I'm thinking about it's this ramen. <laughs> it's, yeah, food is. It's more than just food. Yeah, it's more than food. Yeah. And I think it's really nice for you working in your role that you are in now that you can see that and that is obviously a big driving factor in your career in that like you're able to recognise the importance of it and so that is going to help you create a better food environment, which hopefully we can all do. Yeah. Mm. Agreed. Oh, that, was, that was a really nice sentiment to end on. Yeah. yeah. summarises everything very well. <laughs> Thank you for having us in your home. There are lots of photos coming. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Hey, what are you still doing here? The party's over. Thanks for sticking around, though. And thank you so much for coming to our pantry party. Yeah, I hope you had a great time. I mean, we sure did. 
Oh, no, don't worry about doing the dishes. Leave them there. Yeah, okay. we'll clean it up tomorrow. We'll Just vacuum. get home safe. Yeah. Oh, okay. If you really want to, you can hit the link down below that takes you to our Patreon page. Or, you know, just check out our website, our Instagram, share this episode, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Maybe we'll be new and noteworthy one day. That'd be a great review for a party. Yeah. But either way, go home. The episode's over. Bye.